Hi, I'm Jess Blankshane. I'm an assistant professor of national security affairs at the U.S. Naval War College. Everything I'm about to say represents my own personal views. Today, I'm here with my friend Danielle Lupton, who is an associate professor of political science at Colgate University. Hello, Danielle. Hi, Jess. I'm really glad to be here with you. Um, today, we're going to talk about why it's important to understand civil-military relations, even if you, the listener, don't think that you care about civil-military relations. By civil-military relations, we mean the relationships between a state's government, its military, and its society. There's often a temptation to only really think and talk about civil-military relations when we see a coup or some other type of crisis going on. But we think understanding civil-military relations can help you understand all sorts of things about a state. How it makes foreign policy, how it makes domestic policy, what the society values, and who it includes and excludes as part of that society. Yeah, case in point, we've seen several civil-military relations issues crop up lately in American politics that you might not even know are about civil military relations. For example, uh, what's going on in Portland and the use of Department of Homeland Security personnel, uh, recent um, military endorsements of political candidates. But what I would really love to talk to you about, Jess, is about the war metaphor um, and the fight, quote unquote, against the pandemic and COVID-19. Yeah, I think that's a great topic to, to use Civ Mill to analyze, Danielle. Uh, and we've actually written about this briefly in the Monkey Cage blog of what we see as sort of the uh, advantages and disadvantages of using this war metaphor. And one of them, uh, we think, that cuts both ways is that it really highlights society's um, fascination with things military, right? And the idea that we can make something important and galvanize the public around something if we call it a war. Yeah, and you know, one of the concerns that I have um, that I know that you also share from our monkey cage piece is that when you make everything about the military, it really creates the cycle of the, of the over-veneration of the military, but also by making everything about the military, there's a question about whether or not you're devaluing other contributions that are not specifically related uh, to, the mili to military and society. Yes, absolutely. And that's something we've seen people talking about is both the possibility that this pandemic and sort of the use of war and emergency language around it could actually increase the extent to which society values other kinds of service. Um, the people who are exposing themselves to coronavirus every day in hospitals, in stores, uh, delivering our groceries and our mail. But I think there's also a concern that if, as you say, if we only value those people to the extent that we see them as like soldiers risking their lives, uh, doing something dangerous to fight for us, really we're still just venerating the military and sort of saying that other forms of service are only valuable to the extent that they're like the military. There's also a broader concern here as well about issues of oversight that have come that have been widely discussed in terms of civil military relations more broadly. Um, but in this particular instance, you know, Trump has called himself a wartime president, um, particularly regarding uh, COVID-19. Um, and so there is a question about whether or not by invoking that kind of language and that rhetoric, does it make it more difficult for other political or societal actors to therefore criticize the president's response? It certainly can, right? We see that, that once a president invokes the idea of a war or that what they are doing is supporting the troops, it makes it much harder to oppose both in Congress and in the public. It adds sort of a, a different dynamic there of um, being unpatriotic and not supporting the war effort if you don't support the president. And one thing that I think is also really troubling about this, I'd love to get your thoughts on, Jess, 
is that we've also we've seen this happen in conjunction with the increased politicization of the military, and in particular, uh, the president's use of um, referring to his generals, right, the military as being his own, and just this extreme polarization, but then also using the military as a political tool. Yeah, absolutely. And we've we've seen this even in the coronavirus response of efforts to put um, military officers or sort of people with military credentials in key positions, for example, uh, heading Operation Warp Speed, respond, the, the attempt to uh, speed up the creation of a vaccine, and the idea that this does lend sort of extra credibility and maybe some sort of political shield to other policymaking efforts that might not actually have much to do with the military. Well, and this brings up a broader ongoing debate and question um, that I'd love to engage some of the listeners with us about um, on Twitter as well, and that is you know, what is military service really about? You know, what does it represent? Um, and what makes military service special? And I think that can also help us understand how we can best employ um, the use of the war metaphor, but also best put um, military veterans in positions of power in areas where they can have uh, the most um, tangible and salient influence on domestic and foreign policy. Absolutely. And as you say, these issues around military service also bring up a lot of intersecting issues around gender and race and other forms of identity and how that influences whose service is and isn't valued in all kinds of different ways. Absolutely. I really hope um, that we get to continue this conversation um, on Twitter or perhaps in another uh, chat. But it was really wonderful to talk with you, Jess. Great to talk with you, Danielle. Thanks for listening, everyone.